sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Isaac Smith, our, our Lord Mayor, who's come into the studio very kindly. Thanks for coming in, Isaac. No, happy to be here. Yeah, greetings. Yeah, now, Isaac, uh, Isaac and I used to work together at uh, Southern Cross. We've known each other for years. Yes, yeah, so, a long time ago. Well, it certainly was, wasn't it? That's a long time ago now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, I know you're a busy man, but um, as I said uh, before, it's been uh, like, first first thing I'm, I'm, I want to ask everybody who I com- comes in to do an interview, mm. uh, Mad Max or Star Trek? Which, what's the vision of the future that you'd like to see? <laughs> Actually, like to see? Like to see, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think um, I've always been a Star Trek fan. Mm. I think there's something about uh, the way they developed that series that said that no matter what happens, we will find a way. And I like that, you know, as much as I think um, George Miller's uh, latest Mad Max was an absolute thriller of a, a fantastic movie, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't exactly paint the best picture of the way we can manage things moving forward, does no, it? it's not the world we want to live <laughs> it's in. It's not what we want. <laughs> All right. Well, so, you know, you've been mayor since... 2016? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, three years now, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. How's, how's that been for you? How, how, how's that been treating you? Oh, look, I, um, I occasionally see our former mayor, Jenny Dale, and I tell her that, um, uh, you know, while I, I watched her for eight years, I didn't see her do half the things I've had to tackle in the last three years. So I think she knows it's been difficult. Uh, you know, we all know about the, the flood. Mm. Uh, we all know how um, uh, China sword has affected, you know, recycling in, in our country. You know, just uh, the challenges we've faced in the last three years have only sort of, I guess, exemplified what's happening in the broader community and across the world. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So what would you, uh, what would you see as your biggest achievements thus far? Um, oh, look, obviously coming back from the flood uh, mm. was, was a, a big thing, you know. We try not to talk about it because people start to fixate on the flood, but um, the way the community came together, the way the council supported uh, the community, the way everyone sort of, uh, you know, provided that resilience we needed to get back on our feet, um, that was just a phenomenal effort. Besides that, I think um, at council really it's been wrangling a very diverse group of councillors. I've got, I've got uh, I've, you know, nine different political persuasions out of 11 people, which doesn't make it easy sometimes, <laughs> but we've got some really good outcomes. We've got some really good, um, uh, you know, things we've done that uh, we still get awards for we still get a lot of people from other councils looking at and thinking well if Lismore's doing that we should follow them yeah well, there seem to be a leadership but as you say you're a, a nine different political opinions amongst 11 people well, welcome to Lismore, yeah, welcome to Lismore. <laughs> we're a diverse community you know, and we love it <laughs> well through the week you had the um, declaration of a climate emergency that was uh, Ellie Bird's uh, uh, motion, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was a fantastic motion and, um, and uh, well supported amongst the councillors, which is good. Mm. Well, wonderful that you signed on to that and uh, sing- signalled that and sent that signal out there, but terrifying that you've had to do that. So where's council going to take that? Is it just um, a sign posting that you'd, you know, up to speed with that and want other mm. people to pay attention? Or are you going to do, can you do um, stuff to actually try to help to reverse the greenhouse? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, if we can't do it, then who can? It's about each individual, uh, each organisation looking at what they do and how they do it and trying to do it more sustainably. So there's a, there's a surface level there where we did it to be part of the movement. We did it to uh, join other councils who have done it. Yep. We did it to tell LGNSW that we want them to take this to the state. You know, we expect the states to take the feds, but at this stage, uh, the lack of action at the state and federal level really is the, the, the damning part of this whole situation. Yeah, yeah. 
Can so, I just uh, read a bit from beyond that? that. It's, it's, it's not lack of action. It's sort of almost action in the other direction. It, so, it, yeah, it, please it, do, Sean. I was just going to maybe just to yeah, read the, the preamble because it's, uh, it's quite well done. Uh, public, uh, the, the, the council, uh, the Lismore City Council, publicly declares that the world is in a state of climate emergency that requires urgent action by all levels of government, that human-induced climate change represents one of the greatest threats to human humanity, civilization other species and the life-supporting capacity of air, water, soil and ecosystems and that it is possible to prevent the most harmful outcomes if societies take sustained emergency action, including local councils. So it's, uh, that fits with what you're saying. That you're, you're now taking that message on to the higher levels of, uh, of governance. Absolutely, yeah. So we um, uh, we are one of the councils that's put through the climate emergency. They're all slightly different for different councils, but that preamble is one that they try and make consistent. And what we do now is we take that to LGNSW, which is our peak body for all councils in New South Wales, and we expect them to advocate on our behalf. Uh, and uh, any time you get those councils, you know, there's 100 and, um, 130 of us across New South Wales, so it's, mm. it's quite a voice. And when you combine together on an issue like that, and, uh, and we expect the state government to listen, to be honest. Well, they, you know, they, they'd be foolish not to, wouldn't they, to listen to peak re representative bodies like the local Absolutely. councils. Absolutely. Uh, so my understanding is that uh, there was 33 local councils. Is that in New South Wales? 33 have already, 33rd council in Australia to declare a climate emergency. Yes, yeah, so obviously we're a bit ahead of the game. We want more people to join us and I think um, there's a lot more um, who've been doing it over these past month or two. We have our big national conference uh, in Sydney next month, no, mm -hmm. October. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know there's other councils doing it before that again, to add their, their voice to it and add weight to it. Mm. Um, and that's sort of something that we can see, uh, I guess, going a bit further again, because we, we have to find some way of getting our state and federal governments to put proactive policies in place that help us. At mm. the moment, really, they're hindering our attempts uh, to limit climate change. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, planning for climate change. Um, I noticed in Ellie Bird's um, letter in the Byron Echo, floods, bushfires, droughts, heat waves and sea level rise. Um, so all of the above. So not only do you have to try and do what you can to actually sort of reverse that, it's not only just mitigating, but you've also got to sort of plan to work around those things given that they're going to come. We had Cyclone Debbie, um, Willembar rated that as one in 100 years, but mm. um, we may be looking to one in 10 years or one in even four years, it depends. There's a lot of moisture going into the atmosphere. Um, so if we're going to have repeat performances of that, now, I know state government's given money towards, or maybe federal government's given money towards digging this big ditch to short-circuit Leicester Creek. Mm. Um, I'm not aware of um, the hydrological data that's um, grounding that, but I'm very dubious about it, knowing that the mm. sea level's going to rise up to meet Lismore. Lismore's nine metres out of the tide, and we get projections for the middle of the century, maybe even two metres for the middle of the century. Mm. And yep. within a century or so, we're going to be facing, you know, the tide on our doorsteps. So what's that great expense of money on that gutter going to do? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, um, a really good question. And I often, I do, I do actually joke about it when I, I stir up people in Ballina and Byron and tell them they should, you know, they should plan for the Lismore Coast in the coming, <laughs> coming decades and, you know, move inland. Um, but no, that the, uh, the, the channel or the, the, really what they're doing there is just removing a bit of a hump in a field. It's going to be quite um, uh, nondescript, really. It doesn't. People are expecting some massive concrete channel. It's actually just uh, a lot of dirt being moved. So um, what it will do is uh, reduce flood heights in the CBD. But you're, you're right, hydrologically, um, 
that is a very minor alteration uh, that has a very specific outcome. It's just about reducing heights in the CBD and helping water flow through. But even historically, we've had, if Leicester Creek flows hard enough, we've had the river flowing backwards into the CBD from Leicester Creek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've even got, um, there's an ex-skipper who used to do the floating restaurant um, yeah, can really. point to broken cast iron infrastructure from when the river flowed in reverse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, every flood is different hydrologically, so yes. we've got these two arms, and if, you know, if they both, the PMF, if they both went at the one time, is astronomical. It's you know two or three meters above what we've ever experienced, so that's unlikely to happen. But yeah, every flood is different, and the water does push in different directions. So, the, the we're we're told the hydrology of that um, will. Uh, I guess turn our levy into perhaps a, a, a 1 in 15 rather than a 1 in 10 uh, and just give us some of those benefits for some floods but not all floods for sure um, We just mentioned earlier Hawaii last year 50 inches in 24 hours Japan last week mm. 48 inches in 24 hours um, we are going to see these sort of events um, yeah look my real concern is the tearing up of the community infrastructure with the railway line mm. to allow that to happen that ditch now, what plans do you have for reinstating? Now, I know the council was involved, well, gave the direction for tearing out the railway line on the edge of town in the past. It was done, to my best of my knowledge, with absolutely no community consultation. It was over and done with before anyone knew it was happening. It was a sort of a, you know, by stealth, vandalism by stealth of community infrastructure, which is historically really important. And for the future, it looks like being even more important because the transport model across the world is going to more and more and more efficient transport, not less efficient, and trains are the most efficient. Mm. So what justification has Council got for tearing that line out without by sleight of hand, basically? Um, oh, look, what happened in the past, I, I don't really know or, you know, have a, a comment on. But it really was on your watch, though. It was only two year, within two years ago. Uh, yeah, but it's not, it's not our infrastructure. It's not our land. It's not something we manage. But the directive control. was given from council. No, there was no directive given from council. John Holland didn't that. pull it out by himself, and the, and the railway department didn't say to do it. And the, John no. Holland blamed there's more council for the directive. No, there's not a directive from us. No, that's not the way. So it, who did this? Well, John Holland did it. They managed the line and they make those decisions and it was more informative. They informed us they were doing it rather than we directed them to do it. So it's the same with these floodworks. So they're, what they're doing um, is not so much removing a lot of the infrastructure but creating a few pockets where the water can flow through the, the, the embankment. So, you know, and because um, at the moment with, with uh, Lismore and its commitment to the rail trail, um, we want to make sure that's an accessible transport corridor, which means it's not going to be sort of giant cutaways and sort of, you know, concrete or, or anything else. It's going to be just gentle slopes and a few small sections uh, that allow people to use that corridor in the future, perhaps, but also allow water to come through that um, and keep it away from the CBD because it does bulk up against some of that uh, infrastructure. Yeah. Right. Well, I still don't understand why the council didn't say to John Holland, hang on, justify what you're doing there if, if they gave the... Um indication that they were going to do this. Now, they basically are given three quarters of a million dollars every year to maintain that line. Mm. And um, the problem that occurred there with that flood was that they had not lived up to that maintenance and they had let that line go to Camp for Laurel mm. and become a dam wall. And then the farmer upstream had 140 round bales that washed up against it. Mm. And <laughs> so it they took that out. Yeah. They have to justify that. And they say to you, we're going to do this. And then what did council say to them? Go ahead and do it. Well, we don't have any authorization to tell them not. So it's not it's state land. It's not council land. We have no way of managing it or controlling it. We can only provide them with feedback from our community. And um, you know, at that point, there was no particular feedback we had that would either prevent them or stop them from doing what they did. So, mm. so okay, a bit further from from that, um, the ex mayor is a campaigner for the rail trail mm -hmm. push bike track. 
Um, Lismore City Council is a signatory to the push bike track business um, plan that's been presented in April, I think, to the Richmond Valley Council. Um, yes. But you're a sponsor of that. Your logo's on it. Um, their intention is to tear up the line. and To remove the rails. Yeah, to yep. remove the rails and put yep. push bikes on the tracks. Yep. So um, is that Lismore City Council's... Position? Position. It is currently, yes. Why? Uh, because we don't know anybody advocating to put the, the train back on. So there's no impetus from anyone that I know of that's willing to put the investment in. And I've, I've been talking with um, Simon Richardson from Byron. I know they've just put out their, their report. Um, I was talking about to him about it last week, that brand new uh, report. Yep. They've got about, uh, they want to do the rail trail and the, and the train line uh, in the Byron Shire together uh, between the two. So, but Lismore's really, we're, we're sort of, um, we're in the middle of all this, obviously. Tweed is going ahead with their rail trail section and Richmond Valley's going ahead with their rail trail section. Um, I don't believe... Well, they haven't yet. The community hasn't said they can. No one's done any community consultation that's got any significance or value. Um, Richmond Valley mm. had a survey on about the 15th page of their website mm. saying, tick this if you want push bike track and tick this if you don't. Um, okay, insignificant, yeah. not worthwhile, mm. not you know, not good community consultation, which government has become more and more attuned to doing consultation that is not Absolutely. consultation, that's tick the box consultation. Yeah. Now, you haven't asked the community at all. There are a lot. I can tell you there are a lot of people. Mm. There's the majority of your shop owners in, in Lismore CBD mm. believe that if they had the train, they'd have more business keeping their doors open. You've got Byron Shire, not only have they just done this survey, as you say, they've got a business case put back to them by their um, independent surveyors yep. saying that we have we examined a yep. half a dozen models. One of them, only one of them, stands out as a $1.50 return for every dollar spent over 50 years. Yep. Yeah, that was in the report released last week. Yep, yep. 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 So they've got two and a half and growing million tourists coming into Byron every year who are gridlocked down into Byron. They can't get out. They can't mm. get anywhere. Mm. Gridlock itself, the locals can't get anywhere. They want to get those tourists out. They are saying to you, why don't you, Sister Shire, join with us? Mm. Help us put on trains. We're going to almost certainly put it on if we can get anyone to participate with us. Mm. And they're going to front half the bill or part of the bill, I think. Um, they'll have Shire boundary to, to Shire boundary rail. Mm. Um, and they're looking for their sister shires to tie in with that. And um, you have a golden opportunity. You've got two and a half million plus tourists wanting to get out. They've got things like... Um, well, I think we want them to go. I don't know if they do want to get out. I think they go to Byron to go there, but... Um, well, we, I don't we think get so. get some of them out of that region. We, we, that's we, sure. they that's have right. Like we'd like to get them. We'd we like want to get them here. You yeah, do, yeah. don't we? Yeah. And, and, as, and as far west as Casino could, could benefit from that if there was actually a, a, a transport... Classic example is the farm, the so-called farm at Byron. You know, mm -hmm. it, It's so not an authentic farm experience. Those tourists coming to Byron go to the farm. That's not Australia, but they could go to Casino. They could go to Lismore. They could go to the pantry in Eltham. Mm. They could get farm experiences that were genuine and authentic. You know, if the rail was in a loop be fantastic. to yeah. Brisbane, it's a wonderful scenic group. Yeah, so yeah. are we going to cut that all off despite our face by tearing up those railway lines? You're being offered this wonderful opportunity from Byron. Why doesn't Lismore look at it? 
Well, look, I, I don't think we're actually being offered anything at this point in time. So Byron has um, done this report. It's a good report. has interesting information in it. It says that they have something they believe will work into the future. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I mean, you might have seen something I haven't, but I haven't seen Byron commit any funds to it. I haven't seen anybody say they're going to commit funds to it. I don't know anybody who um, has proposed putting the train actually back on the Byron section of the track. So I believe they are um, prepared to put some money towards assisting businesses to do it. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah. it's so very, but I, very I haven't early. Seen that. I, I think Right. To me, it's a bit like, um, you know, I, I think the, the train coming down from Queensland would be really useful if it ran down our coast and came to Lismore. Absolutely. Um, you know, and our state government should be planning for it to come to the border. But again, until it gets to the border, um, there's, there's no point in connecting yeah. up to that section. So no. for me, you know, I'm a, I, would, I love trains and I've just come, you know, from a few conferences where there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, railless trams. They're talking about lots of different technologies, obviously electric vehicles and things. Um, you know, is, is the old rail line the best way to get people in and out of Byron? I don't know if it is or not. Well, look at Ellie Bird's statement mm. in the Byron Echo. Sea level rise. Mm. Have you looked at that coastal risk website? Coastal risk? Well, there's a number of websites. Coastal yeah. risk is one showing am I, am I aware of projected sea, sea level rises, yeah, rises into the future, yep. half a metre, two metres. Yep. So at, at three quarters of a metre. Mm. Have you noticed that the Pacific Highway is cut and cut and cut and cut everywhere up the coast? Mm. Tweed, Ballina, uh-huh. Woodburn, over and over again, the Pacific Highway model fails. Yep. Now, you've seen, you've been right next door to the Alstonville debate about the koala mm. population in Alstonville and the yep. highway relocation through that and the community trying desperately to save that population and that forest. Yes. That's going to be writ large. If you try and relocate the Pacific Highway over and over and over again, mm. so... That model is failing and it's doomed to fail completely. You've got oh, a train line, can yeah. carry far more people. It will have to be moved as well. But it's a little thread of a corridor mm. compared to a massive highway infrastructure. You're talking about the main line between Brisbane and Sydney? No, I'm talking about the local line as well. Our line. Your local... Well, you, you depend on the highway to bring your people into Lismore mm. or the two highways. But yep. anything near the coast is going to be cut. So the, will. The, the car model is failing... Um, I'm just wondering why you don't sort of think seriously about the train model as well. The other thing is the rail trails. Tweed's been put on notice that they're not going to get any maintenance money for the rail trail. So Lismore Shire's got a black hole in its budget. Are you going to want to be forking out maintenance money for non-ticket paying push-bike riders? Look, as I said, we're the only council that doesn't actually have anything going with the rail trail yet, so Byron's got some ideas about what they want to do. Tweed and Richard Valley are doing it. Lismore's a gap in the middle where we don't actually have anything. There's no commitment, there's no changes, there's nothing happening with us at the moment. So, But you've signed up to that um, business case and it looks like you've got in your mind that you're going to tear up the railway line. Well, we supported Richmond Valley to see what their business case was like and uh, the council has endorsed supporting the rail trail in the past. It's an ongoing conversation, isn't it? Mm. This is going to be a, a while before we get any... I've got one more thing to say on this before we close. The farmers. The farmers. Christmas time, the Geelong Animal Health Laboratory mm. tested samples that were confiscated at the airports of Sydney and Melbourne from tourists coming in not declaring small goods. Mm-hmm. Animal Health Laboratory tested them and found that they had... Some of them had... African swine fever, which is just decimating the Mm. herds in Vietnam and China. Guess what else? Foot and mouth disease. Mm. Coming in through our borders, undeclared, illicit. And there's something like 40 tonnes of meat in 2016 figures that come in through our borders Mm. illegally of meat products, Mm. right? So some of these small goods coming in have got foot and mouth Mm. and African swine fever. 
You're trying to get so, me not to get people out of bar and you're trying to get me to deter the tourists <laughs> from coming into Lismore. Well, I think, the, I think the farmers have a, a question for you to answer is if you're going to promote push bikes in the farms knowing that some of those tourists are going to be carrying things like foot and mouth. Mm. Now, we've had Tony, Tony Heffernan, the local land services guy, yep. in June spoke at the... Um, Coastal Emu workshop in, in Bungawalbin. He said they've taken 4,000 pigs out of the Nuri Bar wetland in the last 12 months. Okay, yeah. Feral pigs. Feral pigs. Yeah, yep. So a major problem. One of those small good wrappers, one feral pig, and you lose Australia's entire cloven hoofed animal industries. Foot and mouth is that contagious. Mm, yeah, biosecurity is something that comes a lot so with rail trails. So you have a question to answer to your farmers because you're encouraging this to happen. We know now, as of Christmas, that this is coming in. We've seen, we're at the moment, China's in meltdown. They're killing millions of pigs. Mm. So I think you have to sort of, you know, be prepared to answer that very... Are you going to indemnify farmers if you encourage this rail trail and, and you kill their industry? Oh, look, it's a great question. And as I said, you know, we haven't actually got anything happening in Lismore yet, but when we do, biosecurity is going to be a big issue. So it's one that rail trials have to address. And I lied. Addressing. Second last thing. <laughs> last thing, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the community to lock on and do bridge sits if you try and touch that line? Because you're going to get a lot of community resent resentment. Are you, have you, you might have to put aside extra money because the community is going to cost you money because they're not going to let that line go easily. Yeah, look, uh, I don't know what's going to happen or how it'll be developed or at what point. It may not even be on my watch. These things don't happen quickly, so I uh, have no idea. That's all i got to say, Sean. No, <laughs> well, you. Jeff, you've made your points, and it's, uh, it, it, I think it's fair enough. It's, thanks for, for fielding all of that. No, that's right. Uh, look, I, it's, it's, it's I know it's a controversial one. Rail trail versus rail is always a difficult one, and, you know, we have a diverse community, and there's big camps on either side, so and I'm willing to listen. No, 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 there's about 10% on one side and a massive camp on the other side. It's just well, you haven't asked. Exactly we both camps tell you me. Have so. <laughs> how many people are going to get there on a, out there on a push bike, and how many people can use the hospital? Hospitals in Tweed, if they only had a train link, could get mm. through to Brisbane. If they only had a train link, um, could get train kids in casino. Brisbane, well, it could. Could. I agree. Kids in casino can't get to the coast to buy and can't learn to surf unless they go own a car or go with another adolescent with a car when mm. we know where that leads. Right. Um, it's a thorny, thorny big issue. We've thank got, you, we've Sean, got limited for your time indulgence. left. We, we've, uh, no, we've, we've, we've covered it well. I'm glad we've done it. So do we need It'll to, come up again. We will. And, and thanks for, for, you know, thinking that, you know, th like obviously this is something which is, is a live issue for the council on mm, an absolutely. ongoing basis. You yep, know, you yep. guys going to have to deal with some of those questions uh, as they emerge. But uh, the climate emergency, I wanted to ask a bit more about mm. um, because you've, uh, you've it says in the the, uh, the climate emergency uh, statement that, uh, that there'll be uh, writing rights to the members for Page, the member for Lismore, the parliamentary secretary for Northern New South Wales, federal environment minister, and the New South Wales environment minister advising them of the council's resolution and urging them to acknowledge a climate emergency and to act to address the crisis. Now, uh, have those letters been sent? Are they on their way? Have you got any responses? They have been sent. Uh, the good thing about um I guess writing letters is, doesn't take you too long to do. Mm. So I do know they've um, they've been sent uh, by myself and the general manager. We haven't received any responses yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I, I expect them to take a bit longer than we would to do to write them. Mm. But it's in, look, I think it's important. I think it's one of those things that you want to do. It seems a bit um, – it does seem a bit silly. We get stuck with writing letters. We get stuck ticking boxes like you, you just said, you know. But um, uh, it does make a difference to those people, our representatives, if they get these letters, if they hear mm. from people and they want to know what action is going to be taken. So I look forward to getting the responses. When I do, I'll share them with the community. 
community. Yep. Um, is there any chance you might engage the community in, uh, you know, like in those responses in perhaps replying to them? Or, it's probably or, a good idea because I think when it comes to climate change, we need to find uh, a space where momentum will bring results, you know, mm. and, and that means involving the community mm. and that means uh, getting these decision makers to uh, listen to what we have to say, I guess. Mm. Yeah, so mm. that's a great idea. Mm. Oh, good. Right okay. I want to give you a bouquet on your recycling depot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Revolve Shop's fantastic. It sort mm. of pays for its staff and pays for what happens there and um, stops stuff being trashed unnecessarily. It's a mm. wonderful initiative. I know you had a fire the other day and I think that's um, sort of understandable because spontaneous combustion does happen in, in waste piles. and you had In compost it does, yeah. Fanning winds. Mm. Um, it was more than fanning winds. That was a bloody gale that week. It was indeed <laughs> it was a gale. Absolutely blowing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it, I've had a, it, I had a trailer load of horse poo uh, start smouldering in my backyard. Really? Oh, yeah. I yeah. imagine what the, the council's got to deal with and I started trying to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. In Europe and England it happens. It mm. just... It, yeah, in our piles, you know, thirty five hundred tons. So, yes, so, I know. So it's a bit more than normal. It's a big pile. Yeah. Live by, yeah, live and learn. But yeah. um, did it burn your plastic recycling area too? It did. Yeah. So the um, uh, we're still waiting for the reports, but the initial indication is that um, uh, when the compost pile unfortunately uh, went up yeah. due to the high winds, um, the flames and embers blew into the the MRF facility. Uh, so the materials, the materials recovery facility is where we have uh, plastic sorters, glass sorters, you know, cardboard compactors, all the machinery that relies on um, conveyor belts, you know, cameras, technology to do that sort of sorting process. And and uh, unfortunately, it looks like we think half the shed may have been destroyed. Damn, that's and, a um, shame. Yeah, and, and even in the half that wasn't destroyed because of the heat that builds up, we just don't know what the structural integrity is like. So we're still waiting to work with the insurers and, uh, you know, find out what happens next with that thing. But we do we do believe it'll be open very soon. Uh, that's at least good. The, at least the main part where you can drop off and self-sort, you know, so we can start processing the waste locally, but we just don't have uh, a time yet. This is sort of one step back and two steps forward. I reckon you mm. have made two steps for everyone back. You've done some great work there that mm. you had the problem with the worm farm earlier on which cost, yep. cost money but you know you've been standout really you've been leading across australia you've been leading there's, in recycling it's been wonderful there's yep. a couple of other things that uh, i wanted to, to discuss with you about the the, the um well one is uh the uh 100 renewable energy plan can you give mm. us a bit more on that because i don't i personally don't know much about it i wonder if our, our listeners do yeah look that was um probably in the earlier days of that sort of climate debate back in 2013 mm. um we decided uh, you know as a point of leadership we would make sure that within 10 years council would be energy neutral uh you know um so that's something we started at that point we started installing a lot of solar we started working on other projects the two community solar farms got up so they're you know they were again australia first yeah. where the community invested and built solar farms um, and that we're up to the final stage now obviously with only a couple of years to go we're looking at either um, uh, building our own mid-scale solar plant um, or tapping into those who are building uh, building alternative energy plants uh, in this country so mm. Mm. you know we, we are in the city's power partnership uh, we were one of the first councils to join that as well is there uh, is there any way in which the council could be helping renters and you know like in, in a, installing uh, mm. solar is that an option for like you know a, 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 I mean like some, some of the, the biggest power plant in Australia now is on the rooftops of Australia's it houses yeah. uh, a lot of people out there who don't own their house uh, is there any way that the council could be getting some of its meeting some of its goals in that way it'd be a good thing to do we do have some uh, a solar plan and we haven't gone there yet I mean I'm I'm, I'm 
I'm a renter myself. I'm probably the first mayor of Lisbon who's a renter. Yeah. So, you know, there, there has to be ways to engage with people because I think when you talk to people about climate change, um, you know, I know there are a few holdouts, but generally the people I talk to across the spectrum acknowledge that it is happening, yeah, acknowledge yeah, yeah, it's an do. issue. Yeah, that's right. You know, so uh, for me, it's how do we engage people and how do we make them do things? And it's, it's probably some of those like the renters who are just in that too hard basket. Mm. They say, well, look, I don't own, therefore I'm just going to keep struggling with what I've got. You how do we get to them? Anova's um, solar garden initiative from a year yeah. or so back. Um, they were desperately looking for big roof space and mm. big usage in the building. Yep. And so they would then sell shares in that to renters mm. and they could move anywhere within well, anywhere in Australia eventually um, and stay with Anova and the money generated by that solar garden would be offset against their meter. So, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's um, a great idea. Actually. I know they were looking desperately for big spaces with yeah. a big usage. They needed to have the demand close by if they could possibly do that. Yeah. Um, so I reckon they'd work with you. Yeah, well, look, you know, our community farms are on those prime locations already that, um, yes, you I know, know. Close, to the, close to the energy and where they need to be. And uh, Innova's fantastic. You know, I'm an Innova customer myself. And, you know, we've been talking more with the board there about coming across to Lismore. Obviously, they sort of uh, started in Byron, a bit, you know, bit Byron-focused. But, you know, I think there's bigger wins in Lismore uh, and, and more people, I guess, you could get on board with some really smart schemes and over have. Yeah. Um, look, I've got actually one other question regarding the, the, the bigger strategy on climate. Um, um, we've, uh, we're coming up towards the end of our half hour, but we're, we're pretty <laughs> feral here, you might have noticed. <laughs> um, but we're, um, the financial planning is a big part of, uh, you know, obviously a big part of council's business. It's yep. also a big part of the, uh, uh, the, the problem for climate mm. and the solution for climate. You know, a lot of people talk about divestment. Yeah. Um, obviously, in the last, uh, in, the, in the global financial crisis, uh, a lot of councils around the world and here in Australia, I understand, even here in Lismore maybe, mm-hmm. uh, were affected by... Uh, some of the, the, the collapse yep. and we're looking towards uh, stranded assets and a, and a new collapse which makes the global financial crisis look like a fun day out at, uh, mm. at uh, in the park. So I'm just wondering what kind of strategy Lismore City Council has regarding yep. you know divestment and future planning for the climate crisis. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, a big one for me. I joined council in 2008 and that was when the GFC hit. So mm. I learned way too much about collateral, collateralised debt options than I ever thought I would need to know, yeah. uh, you know, watching these big banks in America fall. Uh, you know, since that point, um, we've actually done a lot of divestment. Uh, we've moved completely away from fossil fuel investment, but... Um, that was a good initial response, I think. Um, it sent a message out there. It made a statement. Um, mm-hmm. It got a, a bit of attention, a bit like we're trying to do with the climate emergency. But we're actually looking at um, tweaking our uh, our financing now because we're realising that um, our, our 100% divestment isn't giving us the best environmental outcomes. So it's a good thing and we're moving towards it. But there's some larger institutions that have some really good green bonds and some really smart green investments. Mm-hmm. But because they also do a very small amount of either they still have old fossil loans or old fossil customers, mm. um, we're actually missing out on some of the better environmental products. So mm. we're actually at a point now where we're looking at um, perhaps rejigging. And a, and a good example of that is um, New South Wales Treasury. Now, uh, they have a very large loan portfolio. They help um, people across the whole state. And there is the odd person in there that's a, a fossil fuel organisation or an industry that um, is working there. Mm. Um, but the New South Wales Treasury Green Bond is one of the best uh, environmental investment funds, uh, I think, in the world at the moment. Yep. And so they give a decent return with a good environmental outcome. And we currently, because of our policy, can't use that green bond. So oh, right. we're looking at tweaking it slightly to make sure we keep divestment happening, uh, but making sure that, that the outcome is probably, at this point, more important than the statement we made a few years ago. Mm. Mm. 
Oh, so that's good. It's on track. At least you've made that big. That Absolutely, big I wasn't, you know, aware of that. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Look, it's made a big difference to us, and um, you know, it hasn't hurt council financially because we've been smart about it. So mm. it's been a good move, and mm. and those the dollars do make a difference. You know, uh, it, that's one thing we know in terms of climate change. We mightn't get action from a federal government, but if I walk into a shop um, or make a purchase, my dollar drives uh, companies, and that's the best way to get change. That's right, and also these uh, peak bodies that you, the the uh, the, the council, uh, you know, peak bodies that you're involved yeah. with. Uh, how much movement is going? going on in those for the, in, in the similar direction to follow your lead? Yeah, look, quite a bit, actually. You know, there's been a, a lot of motions that go to the national and state conferences. Uh, I was in Canberra earlier this year at the Australian Local Government Conference and very similar direction in most councils. And even, you know, those, we just talked about it, climate change now across the spectrum is acknowledged, uh, you know, as being real and being something we need to combat. So even those councils who might be seen as more conservative are pursuing smarter options for their investments and smarter options for their outcomes. So I think that's good for everybody. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Still in finances? cost shifting from yep. the state government to the local government level how much is that impacting you look it's brutal um yeah you know it's it's a difficult thing uh, because uh state governments really control what we do as a council uh we don't have constitutional recognition so we exist only because state governments have legislation uh but when they tell us that they're cutting their library funding by this then we've just got to make up that gap yep. we've had some wins there they're going to fund uh libraries a bit more in the next couple of years but where it really, really, really gets us is where they make changes and then expect councils to enforce them. So if they put through a new piece of legislation that's going to take us an extra two staff members a year and, and uh, $200,000 to implement, there's no support for that. Yep. They just yep. expect you to pick it up and do it. And really that costs our community no end. And mm. I think, uh, you know, the LGNSW said that the current uh, cost shifting from state to federal government is, I think it's close to a billion dollars a year. Wow. And in and Lismore, it's it's in the, you know, uh, probably some, I think it's $9 million a year it costs us. So is that hitting you with roads as well? Oh, absolutely. It hits us across the board. So uh, we have, uh, again, we had an announcement during the recent state election this year that there is some roads that the state government will take back but we haven't seen the process for that or how they're going to okay. do it or how they're going to help us fund that. But look, we're, we're looking for any opportunity to work with them because obviously we do have a state government that tells us they've got a good surplus. I think they said it's a couple of billion dollars, you know, they're sitting on some cash. So yep. we'd appreciate to see some of it, that's for sure. It's our cash after all. It is our cash. We paid for it, like the waste <laughs> levy, you know. We yeah. Well, well the waste levy is supposed to be the biggest cost shift of all by the sound yeah. of it. Um, and we've got this cyclic economy that must happen. Mm. Um, the federal government just said recently we're going to stop exports of all waste. Um, so we've got to solve this problem and it's literally a resource bonanza. Oh, look, it's my hope that, you know, I, I know ScoMo stood there with his little cube of plastic and said, we're going to do this. I want to see what he's going to do because Me too. maybe maybe our, our waste fire could be a blessing in disguise. Maybe it's an opportunity for us f to ground up uh, you know, do something different and significant and, mm. and work with them. If they're going to release money or policy or something to drive uh, a waste revolution, we could be at the start of it again. So that'd be great. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Look, you're in a wonderfully educated diverse community mm, i reckon bring them along with you as much as you can i think they'll support you yeah yeah absolutely they will yeah. and and thanks for coming in to talk in to us no we really appreciate Anytime. you facing up to that it was a, a, a bit, bit of a grilling but uh, you, you handled it well so thanks and no look i appreciate the questions uh, to me you know there are no hard questions there are just difficult answers and so mm. we've got to find a solution as a community together on those tough issues and mm. they're not going away they're things we need to keep addressing and i'm happy to talk about them yeah good on you thank isaac. you isaac wonderful well appreciate we'll it. go to a promo and a track and uh, we'll be right back are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? 
Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.